Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. Tonight we're talking about labor law and your workplace. The last few years have seen an increase in union organizing and employee protests in non-traditional areas, retail, tech, cannabis dispensaries, college campuses, nonprofits. We also saw a spike in the number of strikes in 2022. Organizing has definitely been in the news as well-known employers have experienced organizing campaigns. Starbucks, Amazon, Trader Joe's, Apple retail stores, Pete's Coffee, etc. Just what does union organizing mean? Why are employees seeking assistance from unions? Why might they be willing to strike? Do employees have rights to act together even without a union? As always, we're eager to hear what's on your mind and answer your questions. As always, you can call regarding any topic on tonight's topic, and of course, tonight it's labor law. You're not limited to the exact point that we may be in our conversation. And bear in mind that our guest cannot provide you precise legal or really any advice specifically as they don't have all the facts relating to your given case. But we're all happy to pass along the legal principles to assist you in your decision-making. And the legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their respective employers or clients, but they're all here to help. Our phone number here is 415-841-4134. Once again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. Joining us tonight, attorneys from both sides of the aisle, as well as from the National Labor Relations Board. Jill Kaufman, in fact, is the regional director of the National Labor Relations Board for Northern California and Hawaii, an employee of the NLRB for 30 years. As regional director, she manages the staff in San Francisco and Honolulu, to administer and enforce the National Labor Relations Act in portions of Northern California, Hawaii, American Samoa, Guam, and the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands. A partner in the firm Atkinson, Endelson, Loya, Rood, and Romo, Thomas Lenz handles all aspects of labor and employment law issues and heads the firm's traditional labor and National Labor Relations Board practices. He works with employers in all major industries across California and the West. And Beth Mora of Mora Employment Law is dedicated to representing victimized employees. She is a passionate and accomplished advocate for those facing a wide range of employment law issues. Beth's commitment to social justice and volunteerism is deeply rooted in her personal values. Due to her ad advocacy, Beth is often invited to speak, has published numerous articles as well, and has been quoted in legal journals, including Bloomberg Law, The Daily Journal, and Law 360, on issues impacting employees and the legal community. From the courthouse to the boardroom, Beth is a committed advocate for her clients and the community. And with that, let me 
Welcome, Beth, Jill, Tom, welcome to your legal rights. Thank you, Jeff. It's really nice to be here. Good evening. Thanks for having us. You know, before we go further, I would like to start with a really basic question, and I'll direct it to you, Jill. Can you tell people, we've all heard in the news about the NLRB or the National Labor Relations Board, but not a lot of a lot of description as far as exactly what it is and what you do. So can you tell us a little bit about the NLRB? I would be delighted to, and I'm really happy to have this opportunity to um, let people know what we do and about the law that we enforce. Um, the National Labor Relations Board enforces just one law. It's the National Labor Relations Act. And that was a law that was passed by Congress and signed by President Roosevelt in 1935. Um, as we we're coming out of the depression or trying to come out of the depression, um, it, it, this was part of the New Deal. And the object of the act, the purpose, is to promote collective bargaining. And the belief was that in order to come out of the depression at a time when there was such great disparity between employees and employers, that the, 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 the field needed to be leveled in terms of bargaining power. And so the National Labor Relations Act provides employees, gives them the right to act together to try to improve their working conditions and do that through uh, working with a union and electing a union as their collective bargaining representative, or even in the absence of a union, acting together to try to, to protest their terms and conditions of employment and try to improve them. Um, so se section seven of the National Labor Relations Act is the very heart of the act. That's what provides employees with the right to organize, join and assist a union and be represented by a union or the right to act together to protest and improve working conditions, even in the absence of a union. And also the right to refrain from those activities. They can't be forced to participate in those collective activities. So basically what that means is an employer cannot interfere with those employee rights. They can't retaliate against employees who join a union. They can't threaten employees with discipline. Um, if employees are signing a petition to, or gave them a petition to try to increase wage rates, they can't promise benefits to employees if the employees will give up their union representation or vote against a union. Uh, they can't solicit grievances from employees and say, hey, you know, it, just tell me what's wrong and I'll fix it and you don't need the union. That, that would be interfering with employees' rights under the act. Um, the, the act is a federal law. The NLRB is a federal agency and we the, these rights under the act apply to all private employers. So we don't, we don't apply to um, public sector employees, but uh, all private sector employers. Uh, the act is enforced by the board, and the board has uh, six presidential appointees, five of whom are board members, and one who's a general counsel. 
the board members make the law um, and decide cases at an appellate level. The general counsel oversees all the field offices, including my office. So they oversee investigations and we also prosecute cases. And the general counsel is in the position of trying to change the law. So the general counsel selects cases and issues to try to present to the board to change the law. So as a result, when there's a change in the administration, when the, when the, when the president changes from Republican to Democrat, the makeup of the board and the general counsel end up changing at some point. And you can imagine that there's usually a change in the approach to the law, which leads to changes in the law. And I think that we'll probably be talking about some of those things tonight. Um, other things I just want employees to know out there is if they think their rights have been violated under the National Labor Relations Act, an employer has retaliated against them because um, they engaged in a strike um, or they were um, complaining as a group about a supervisor. They can come to the National Labor Relations Board to file a charge with us. They don't need an attorney to do that. There's no charge for filing. There's no fee. They don't have to pay any money for that. Um, and we will investigate that charge. We are a neutral investigator. We take evidence from all sides and then the regional director makes a decision about whether or not we believe there's a violation. And if we issue complaint, we switch hats and become prosecutors and we then prosecute the case. And again, the employee would not need an, an attorney. They can have one, but they don't need one and there's no cost involved. So um, those are, I think the, the very basics about who the NLRB is and what the National Labor Relations Act provides. Let me ask you a couple of specifics. You mentioned that a private sector employer can't offer up something as an incentive not to unionize or join a union. Is it fair to say that they cannot discriminate based on union activity? They can't treat differently those that are part of it and those that are not part of a union? That's that's correct. Um, in a retaliatory fashion. Now, if employees are represented by a union, the union is the entity with whom the employer should be bargaining about those employees' terms and conditions of employment. And it may end up being that those represented employees um, have a collective bargaining agreement with terms and conditions that may be different from non-represented employees at the same employer. But what an employer can't do is treat, treat people differently solely based on affiliation with the union. Does that, did that answer your question? I believe it did. Okay. How do you relate to government entities. For example, if a county government wanted to disincentivize union activity, so they offer a benefit plan that wouldn't have existed for uh, under the union contract, 
as a means to get people to opt out. Is that something that a government entity can do that a private employer cannot? Well, we we don't have jurisdiction over county government because they're public sector. Um, and there there is a different agency perb uh, uh, would would I think have jurisdiction over county employers. Um, I I'm I'm not saying that an employer who is not unionized, right, could set terms and conditions of employment with an idea that boy we 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 really want to offer really good benefits um, and have the best out there and you know if we do that maybe a union won't be. Um, successful in convincing our employees to seek representation. That that would be okay. What an employer can't do is hear that the employees are talking to a union and signing union authorization cards. And because the employees are doing that, the employer decides and tells them, hey, we're going to give you a wage increase. There's no need for you to go to the union. You know, don't vote for the union. We're going to give you that wage increase. That would be unlawful. There was a a county, a fairly large county, <laughs> that I, actually. I'm figuring there was a backstory to your question. <laughs> there, there is a backstory, <laughs> and it actually created a retirement plan for employees that they would make available if, in fact, the employees disbanded the union. Now, if that was done in the private sector, something tells me you wouldn't take kindly to it. I don't think so. I don't know if Tom has a different view of that, but I don't think that that is something we would find to be lawful. (laughs) That's a tough one. And uh, when you have campaign activity going on, there's that sign of union support any change is typically going to be presumed unlawful and the burden is going to be on the employer to show that uh, it was something that was decided upon uh, before the activity began or before they had knowledge um, or that uh, it was part of some cycle of behavior but the implementation of a brand new benefit plan uh, on uh, grounds like uh, we've discussed here uh, it raises at least uh, a question to be considered whether it was uh, yeah, done appropriately uh, because of the timing. Uh, that The timing is very important. You know, there's a, an allegation that we've seen emerge a lot lately is that certain large national employers, I won't mention their names, they're fairly ubiquitous, But some of these employers, when they're seeing union organizing at one of their branches, that branch is closed. Is that something that could be seen as retaliation or discrimination? It is going to, as always, it's going to depend on the facts. And it's going to depend on the the evidence that that comes out. If there was evidence to show that the employer knew that employees were organizing at that branch and made the decision to close because employees were organizing there, um, that's likely to be unlawful. Um, And that we have had that issue uh, come up 
in cases. Now, if an employer can, can show and has evidence to show that they made the decision to close that facility five months before the employees started um, with a union organizing campaign, then the employer is likely to have a, a good defense. Tom? This is, oh, this is an issue that often uh, when, when there is um, an allegation of unlawful conduct, it can have one of the most interesting remedies that uh, we see uh, in labor law where uh, the, the labor board or even a federal court uh, might order reestablishing the operation. So imagine, uh, if you will, uh, being a business person, you closed your business and being told you must reopen, you must go back into business at that location. Uh, so many of these labor law issues are really, you know, enterprise issues. They're um, not only about the rights of the individual employees and banding together with or without a union, but um, it's uh, sometimes about the uh, the course and direction of a business. So it makes for a really fascinating chemistry. I, I actually just saw, I hadn't got an email just a few minutes before the um, the show started with a news release that uh, there was an administrative law judge decision in one of our Starbucks cases out of Buffalo. And um, the administrative law judge found that Starbucks unlawfully closed a store in Buffalo in retaliation from employees uh, union organizing and has ordered that the store be reopened. Now that decision will be subject to appeal, I'm sure, um, but there is a real life example for you right hot off the press. And I would like to say as the plaintiff employment attorney, the acknowledge the courage it takes of the employees because in this time they've been without work. In this time, the appeal, the complaint has happened, the ruling has come down, and then the right of the employer to appeal, um, you know, unless they found a new job or unless they've received some unemployment, um, they've been without work. They've been without benefits. And so that takes a great deal of courage to unionize. It takes a great deal of courage to take on that risk. Um, and they are attempting to make change and benefit for not just themselves, but everyone around them. And that is inc incredibly honorable and it takes a lot of risk as well. And so it is great that these structures exist, but it's also important to acknowledge what risk they're taking on and willing to do for others. It's pretty admirable. Aren't some of these large employers just too big to touch? Um, plaintiff's attorney, no, never. No one's ever too big to touch. But that is a uh, flat out a biased plaintiff's point of view. I would say that it um, a large employer means you may have more resources and more of a desire to fight uh, to the nth degree, uh, whatever the issue might be. Uh, a smaller employer you know, may not have the resources and may be more interested in finding the most cost-effective resolution as soon as possible to stop the bleeding of paying lawyers and uh, dealing with the hassle of um, litigation or whatever uh, might be involved. Uh, but yeah, when, when you're dealing with a, a large national or multinational operation, um, there, there may be much more resolve to uh, view this as 
being worth the fight, being worth the cost of um, pushing back and not giving in to what employees or a, a government agency like the labor board may want. Seems to me that intent might be a whole lot easier to prove when an employer learns of union activity and closes a branch than when the employer might hear of union activity and offer up benefits and suddenly decide that we're going to give you these great incentives because we like having you here. Um, wouldn't it be harder to prove the malicious intent if an employer says the, the timing's innocent? We we really like our people and they brought it to our attention that we need to let them know they like us. Think I'd the say <laughs> every, case, every case is different and the, the evidence that we get in every case is different, um, whether it's witness testimony, um, documents, emails, um, it just depends. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, and tonight we're discussing new laws, well, we're talking more about labor law and your workplace. My guests tonight are Thomas Lenz, a partner at Atkinson, Andelson, Loya, Rude, and Romo in Pasadena, Beth W. Mora of Mora Employment, and Jill Kaufman, Regional Director of the National Labor Relations Board. All of my guests are here to help. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. Once again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. As always, you can call regarding any question on labor and employment law. You're not limited to where we may be in our conversation. So it seems that... if in the news today, we're hearing a lot more news of late about union organizing campaigns and protected activity, you know, working in concert at the types of places that we probably haven't heard a lot about it before. Um, non-traditional areas such as fast food or retail or tech companies, social media, college campuses. Why the big uptick? I would say that uh, particularly as a result of the pandemic, there's been a lot of people who um, have felt that, uh, for example, they were uh, working in unsafe working conditions. Uh, they were treated without um, respect. Maybe communication was poor and they felt that uh, they were not heard. Um, some people were upset about vaccination issues. And uh, we've heard a number of, um, you know, different stories uh, from uh, probably everyone here and uh, people listening have probably heard stories from people they know, uh, friends, family members about frustrations. And I, I think, uh, you know, as well, some of the more traditional issues uh, such as layoffs and uh, or, or fear of job security. And it's, it's caused people to rethink. Um, and uh, as we watched, I think a lot of protest activity uh, during 2020 and after, 
Um, I, I think people were emboldened to speak up more. And, uh, you know, what, whether one considers that to be um, appropriate or not, I, I did a whole um, panel presentation on, you know, whether something is a protest or a riot. And I, I think depending upon your perspective, uh, you know, people label things. But uh, as a labor lawyer, I look at things as protest activity and whether it's protected or not. And so uh, I, I think that people felt uh, that they needed to speak up and uh, many people's priorities changed. Um, may, maybe they wanted a change in direction in their life. And uh, that has uh, led to new activity in new places, which as uh, someone who not only practices, but teaches in the area of labor law, uh, I, I find it exciting. But uh, I, I think for employers, uh, that I work with in different industries, they're they're shocked. It's like, how is this happening? Why now? I, I thought everybody was happy. And uh, <laughs> it's not quite the case. I, I just want to piggyback on what Tom said, because it's, it's right on point. And, and we can really look at the employers who are seeing this um, concerted activity, this unionization of their often low-wage workers, and really look at where we were when the pandemic started and where we were for three years after. And when we were at home, hiding in our safe bubbles, um, a lot of these people were doing what we needed when we needed our food delivered and our Amazon delivered and our next day delivery and our coffee. They were there making sure we got what we wanted when we were at home. And a lot of us talked about the safety of first responders, but I think a lot of people forgot about all the people who made sure we got food and made sure we did all those other things, especially for those low-wage workers. And a lot of them got sick, and a lot of people died. And they were scared, and they were tired, and they were being underpaid while doing all of it while we were at home. And so they now need someone looking after them, and that one voice is not as strong as the many. And they knew that, that even though they had good employment laws or they needed new laws, they needed a voice of the many. And that's why the unionization is popping up in all these different places would be my argument as a plaintiff's attorney, because they were scared and they could not be without a job. Because if they left their job, they wouldn't have qualified for unemployment. How much do you guys think, Tom and Beth, I'm wondering that social media and um, more widespread news about workplace actions and union organizing campaigns have helped spread the word that this is possible and it's sort of snowballed a bit. I, I definitely think, sorry, Tom, I'm just going to say there's the, every once in a while you hear about one person standing up and even if that one individual is retaliated against and they're leading a campaign at one employer, um, other people get the idea that, oh, I can do this. I'm not alone. And so though I'm not a huge fan of social media, like I don't allow my daughter to have it, for example, I think it has its negatives. This is a good example where it has a great positive because it lets people know they're not alone and that they have avenues. So yes, you're entirely correct. That pot, that that news and the social media carrying one positive story um, of unionization attempts, even with potential retaliation arguments um, to the next store, to the next store, lets people know they're not alone. And they felt really alone. So they needed that. Yeah, social media really connected people. And I think uh, at a time when we couldn't be face to face as easily, um, it really enabled the word to spread. I mean, it's something I've been expecting to happen for a long time. And really, it was 
a necessary consequence of just needing to interact. And when you see high profile employers that everybody deals with in the news on these issues, it's going to spur more activity. One of the more interesting ones that I observed was the the organization of graduate students at the UC schools who have for years been part of the part of the equation and part of the way that students are taught in higher education and the idea of these folks banding together and finding a way to stand up and say, well, we want to be treated more like the employees and less like the students made for an interesting paradigm shift. Yeah, this has been a hot topic issue for a number of years and uh, whether or not grad students uh, are employees uh, with uh, the right to unionize covered by the National Labor Relations Act or or whether they are not. And so um, I, I think a lot depends upon the details as well as the politics uh, of who is in control in Washington, D.C. But uh, yeah, th- this is definitely an area where labor wants to penetrate, wants to represent uh, people and uh, I, I think, expand the uh, the group uh, that they are able to represent. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. Let me turn it over to Michael from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Did we lose Michael? Are you still with us? Guess he dropped off. Michael, if you're you're welcome to call us back, but let me turn it to Mason in San Jose. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi, uh, my name is Mason. Like like you just mentioned, um, I do have a question around um, a, a maternity leave. Um, so I was recently let go from a large logistics company or tech logistics company in the area um, while I was on maternity leave, and I was not. I apologize. I have an infant. Um, I was not told until um, basically. Uh, let's let me take a step back. I apologize. Um, so I was let go while I was on maternity leave, and I. So it's really hard to talk about these things. And by the Sorry. way, the sound of the baby is really cute. So never apologize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's being fussy. So let me no, let me start again. Let me and start she's welcome back again. on the show anytime. Yeah. So I was let go. Um, well, I'm attorney leave. I was the only one on my team that was let go. My job is still there, and I was wondering about what my legal rights are um, at this point. Okay. Well, I am really sorry to hear that while this is happening. This is supposed to be a wonderful, joyous time. So I can imagine this is difficult. So maternity leave and leave rights, an extremely complex situation because it depends on your length of employment, the size of the employer, um, time you took off and time you took off before and after your leave. 
but they are very set rights in California. So what I'm going to suggest is that because this is super complex and could take a lot of personal time and information that I don't think is necessarily appropriate for on air, I'm going to suggest that you, if you have access, look at the Legal Aid at Work website and go to Work and Family link under our programs. And they have a very wonderful handout that walks you through my pregnancy and my legal rights. And it gives you details about how much time you have off and your rights to that and your rights to return to work and whether or not they can and can't lay you off during that time. And then they have a wonderful hotline where they have an attorney signed to the workers' rights, family workers' leave rights, can give you answers about whether or not the timing of your layoff was appropriate or not. Sure, sure. Okay, so I was let go during the, the post-release. So I know that I have four weeks beforehand, and then I have, you know, the allotted 10 weeks afterwards, and I've looked at the law. I was just wondering if the company, if it was legal for them to do this, like, and... So there, yeah, there are limitations, but there's also some, so there are some limitations in some situations, and then there are some restrictions under the law that do not allow layoffs, but if there's a business necessity and there was proof that there was a layoff in place, then it can be excused. That's why it needs to be detailed and discussed. It it seems a little concerning your position is still available, but again, I do suggest you discuss that with an attorney with more details digging into your specific situation um, and not I worry about discussing it openly with details about your specific situation on air. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay. But but please look into it and and, and enjoy your baby. And, and <laughs> Mason, you. before you okay. go, Beth, can you give her the yeah. site that she can go to? Yes, definitely look at Legal Aid at Work. Go to the Our Programs drop down to Work and Family. And there's three or four different graphs, but I want you to look at the one that is Pregnancy and My Leave. And then also under the work and family group, there is a hotline number to talk to an attorney and they have a free legal services for that initial calls and it will help you walk through it. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Mason, best of luck. And thank you for joining us and enjoy your time. Enjoy your time with your little baby. It's a playground. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Where we left off. We were talking before the break of some of the recent union organizing in some places that we don't ordinarily see it. And the last thing we spoke of were the college students. And granted, there's greater communication between them with social media. But that begs the question, is some of the change we're seeing because of more grassroots organizing? I think it is. uh... Because uh, often the uh, employers I talk to are um, seeing uh, activity from non-traditional unions, uh, maybe groups that uh, employees of their operation uh, have formed rather than a more traditional union, uh, such as, let's say, the Teamsters or the Carpenters. Uh, It's... Um, it's a group that, you know, maybe, um, you know, Bob's Donut Shop Union or uh, something along those lines. And uh, I, I think it is in a way um, 
uh, a mechanism for employees to have control of what goes on rather than being um, driven by the agenda of a large organization. But it also, I think, might mean that, uh, you know, they, they have different resources and, and goals. And some of these have been the traditionally powerless folks at the small local donut shop or, or the national fast food. There have yeah. been others, um, the uh, Alphabet uh, employees uh, formed an independent group and um, specified that they weren't seeking to represent uh, employees in the, tr- the traditional organizing sense, um, where they were seeking an election to, to be the exclusive bargaining representative. Rather, it is um, an organization for employees who want to join. I don't know that much about it, but it's it's a little it's definitely non-traditional. And among a very large for a very large corporation. Some of these issues that have come up of late, we talked a bit last week about AB5 and whether people are classified as employees or independent contractors. I would imagine that that might lead to some organizing. Well, it makes a difference under the National Labor Relations Act because independent contractors do not, we are not covered by the act. Um, They're excluded from the act. Um, So if an employer classifies somebody as an independent contractor and tries to argue they're not entitled to the Section 7 rights, they're not entitled to organize with the protections that the the act offers, that makes a big difference. and so there, there has been a, a lot of litigation about um, whether or not what the test is for determining who's an independent contractor versus an employee. Um, and the general counsel at the NLRB is also seeking to change the law to make um, make it be a violation if an employer misclassifies employees as independent contractors. And Tom, I think you know more about that on the NLRB sense. Um, Yes, I've certainly uh, been watching that one over the years and uh, expecting that uh, to heat up in litigation. Uh, And and that's an interesting issue because, uh, for example, with truck drivers, I know it came up with truck drivers in Southern California who were considered to be independent contractors by uh, by the businesses that use them. Uh, and uh, the claim was was made that uh, the the mere um, classification, uh, calling them an independent contractor, was itself stripping them of the rights under the labor laws. Um, not to mention uh, raising potential issues under other laws, such as wage and hour benefits, workers' comp, et cetera. But as a matter of federal labor law, a, a stripping of rights, which um, would prevent them. Uh, from having the protection the law provides for unionizing or general group activity and complaints. And, and just to circle, bring that full circle, um, there is, this does happen when the economy starts to shift. In the employment realm, we see some employers um, classifying employees as independent contractors because it's a cost savings to the business. Um, after AB5, 
one should be presumed an employee and then go through the AB5 or the ABC test to assume, uh, assess if they really truly are an independent contractor. Very few are independent contractors. Very most are employees. Um, And the penalties outside of carving someone out of the NLRA um, the penalties for misclassifying uh, an employee as an independent contractor for the employer are hefty. They are tax penalties. They are workers' comp penalties. There are EDD penalties. There are fines under the code. This is then, then there's the labor code violations, just the penalties themselves for wage and hour violations. They are so hefty that if there's another potential one coming from the NLRB, this is just something the employer needs to look at very carefully that if they think that short-term savings to them is worth it, maybe the long-term, uh, in the long-term, it really truly is not. So um, employees need to recognize that just because they're asked to become an independent contractor or they're told to be one, that's probably not something they need to easily step into. And they should look at the AB5 test, the independent contractor versus employee contractor test. Um, it's an interactive process that the state of California has made available to them for, on the industrial relations website. You know, that does beg the question. We've been talking about the National Labor Relations Board. Some things under the National Labor Relations Act. We're also talking about AB5 and determinations of employee versus independent contractor status under state law. Does the act under federal law, defer to the state's determination about whether somebody's an independent contractor or as opposed to an employee, or is there a different determination under federal law? We we do not defer to the state determination, which can lead to, um, I know, employers probably just uh, going a bit crazy trying to figure things out. Um, No, we we don't. um, And right now we're the general counsel seeking to change the the legal standard. Um, So, and Tom, maybe you can speak more to this. I. Um, Yeah. In in California, employers have, you know, had a while now to adapt to AB5 and hopefully to uh, reclassify people. Uh, Otherwise they had better be prepared to uh, defend in litigation uh, the people um, who are bringing misclassification claims, um, it could be an agency claim or um, it could be a variety of things. But uh, yeah, we, we do run into issues where the federal and state standards are not necessarily uh, consistent. And uh, we, we are uh, dealing with a state that uh, tends to be uh, many times um, setting higher standards than the federal government will set. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the Department of Labor, with the National Labor Relations Board, uh, where uh, I I believe the standards are going to look more to, uh, are people really dependent on the place where uh, they're providing services? Uh, Something referred to as an economic realities test rather than um, control um, or uh, a multi-factor test, not not to get uh, too into the weeds with the legalese, but, yeah, there there have been a number of multi-factor tests that have been used over the years, and so it, it causes a lot of debate and doesn't resolve things quickly. Um, I, I would add that uh, yesterday in Washington, D.C., um, 
people may have heard about um, the reintroduction of legislation, the uh, Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which would be a significant labor law reform. It's, it's been pending in D.C. for a while, but by reintroducing it, uh, the supporters are hoping to reinvigorate it, particularly with a president who has pledged to sign it. And the very first thing in the legislation would be imposing California's independent contractor standard across the country without the exemptions that were lobbied for in Sacramento and are made available under California law. So it has a potential to be stricter uh, under federal law than state law would be. Uh, whether that will pass is anyone's guess, but uh, it, it is uh, an issue that's going to be with us for a while. It just sounds so lovely to me, but, you know, plaintiff's attorney. But as for right now, are there times that you're advising your clients, Tom, that for certain purposes, you're, the person doing the work for you is going to be for state law purposes, perhaps, an employee, or for other purposes under federal law, they're not? That, that's uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I think California's reach is, is so broad. It's it goes so far that uh, I, I think once that risk is there, it, it's hard to undo it. And so uh, I, I'm often talking to employers about levels of risk and what is acceptable, and uh, looking for options, looking for strategies that that will work for their business and. Some people are more risk averse than others. And uh, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, when you're talking about people's livelihoods, uh, it's it, it makes it really tough. But I, I think at the end of the day for independent contractor analysis, uh, is the person you're calling an independent contractor really holding themselves out as a separate business? And ask yourself that question and uh, you, you may have the answer that you want. So assume for a moment somebody really is an independent contractor and you have a business that declares most of their employees to not be employees, independent contractors, and they really do meet the test of independent contractors. What's an independent contractor to do? if they're performing the work of an employee, but they're not treated as an employee. I think under your hypothetical, you're saying that the employer has improperly classified people as independent contractors and their employees. What do they do? Is that what you're asking? What if you're an independent contractor? You're working for an employer, but you're doing the work of the employee, but you're not being treated as one. Can the business discriminate between some folks it's going to consider employees and others that are independent contractors and they're doing the same thing? The, the employer cannot discriminate if someone complains that they've been improperly classified. And the employee can complain to multiple different government agencies they've been improperly classified as well as to the employer. And that includes to the IRS, to EDD, to workers' comp, um, to the employer directly as well. 
um, but they cannot be discriminated against for complaining and objecting to the improper classification. And, and the employer should also know that if it's deemed that they were incorrect, the government can also order them to pay the employee's payroll taxes portion, not just their portion, but the employees. I mean, the, the fines are, are hefty. So uh, they really should talk to an attorney about making sure they've classified people correctly, but they can't discriminate against someone for complaining that they've been classified incorrectly. I think there have been some employers um, like Uber, for example, where the drivers have been found to be independent contractors. So they're not entitled to the protections right now under the National Labor Relations Act. They can't file a petition for an election to be represented by a union under the, the NLRA. But they have found ways, the drivers have found ways to band together to, um, to lobby cities for ordinances, um, filed class action suits. Um, so they have found ways to act together, even though they currently are not employees under the, the NLRA. Yeah, so Prop 22 has eliminated gig workers from the um, AB5. Um, and, and Jill is right on that um, that has excluded them from an immense amount of protections under the law. But they have done really wonderful work of trying to find ways to protect themselves. But it is slow going and it will continue to be. One of the things that I've seen both for employers dealing with employees and those working with independent contractors has been to put out policy and procedures and really tell people how this thing is going to work. Tom, I know you've advocated that for a long time. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I think, you know, policies and procedures are important, provided that an employer has drafted them to comply with the law and enforces them consistently. I believe in practicing what you preach and doing it the right way. And uh, if you listen to the show last week, uh, Beth and I were on with Jeff and we talked about a number of new laws and the need to update your policies to be in compliance as well as to um you know, do what you say you're going to do. So um, when it comes to labor law, there are a number of areas where employers uh, are facing challenges and employee rights are being brought into question, you know, whether employers are doing things inappropriately to, to affect employee rights. And uh, I think it's important that uh, we revisit this issue because uh, dress codes, for example, and, um, you know, policies on uh, access to the workplace, uh, even off-duty access. These are hot topics under NLRB uh, case law, case developments, and I believe there's going to be more activity challenging employers on the handbook policies that they have. So it's important that businesses recognize this and uh, get advice to do the right thing and stay current. Um, similarly, there's been a, a recent ruling with regard to severance agreements and uh, clauses that might chill someone's rights to speak out about the workplace. Uh, 
and uh, the labor board is saying that even that can be unlawful. I mean, we, we've certainly had legislative developments in California related to similar topics, but on a national level, um, even here in California, people are you know taking notice, and I, I think it's important that you uh, you stay tuned and do the right thing. You know, we have just a minute or so left, and I didn't get to ask the key question I wanted to ask of Jill. How does the NLRB relate to state agencies that are somewhat on topic to do the same thing, such as the Labor Commissioner? Do you guys work together? Do you really have different niches that you work out of? We... We will reach out because sometimes um, somebody will have filed a charge with two different state agencies. And so we will reach out to a state agency too, and they may reach out to us to um, see if we can share information or evidence about a case. Um, So to that extent, we work together. Um, I think right now our current general counsel has um, established uh, collaborations with a lot of federal agencies, which are not labor agencies, um, to to more robustly enforce the National Labor Relations Act. Um, So we are working with the Department of Homeland Security. We're working with the Federal Trade Commission. We're working with the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor. to, to because there are issues for each of those agencies that overlap a little bit. And before we end tonight, I do want to go to each of you and give you a, maybe a minute, maybe just a little less for any closing thoughts, any final remarks you have. Let me start with Beth. Do you have anything you would like to add to what we've been discussing tonight? A, a tiny little shout out again to our workers in the field, thanking them for all their hard efforts, thanking them for the courage that they have to unionize. Uh, Truly, some of our most important employment laws has started with your courage and it blossoms from there. So without you, we wouldn't have so many of the employment rights that we have today. So thank you so much and keep up the good fight. And again, the resource you mentioned earlier for people to learn what their rights are, Legal Aid at Work? Yes, sir. Thank you for that. And let me turn it to Tom. Any closing thoughts, anything you wanted to add before we call it a night? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Um, I I would want to remind everybody, employers, employees, that uh, employees have the right to discuss their wages. And uh, you can't discriminate or um, take action against people because they discuss their wages, hours, and working conditions. That is a critical point in really all of the discussions that we're having, whether a union's involved or not. And so it's important that employers know to update their policies, to stay compliant with the law, and to, to get advice. Uh, train your management staff because you, you may run a company, but if your supervisors don't know the rules, Uh, they could actually get the company in trouble and uh, they could be the source of an unfair labor practice charge or a lawsuit. Um, I want to mention, in addition to legal aid at work, um, the uh, California Lawyers Association that Beth and I are active with, with the Labor and Employment Law section, uh, we have an app. Look for Workers App if you're interested in a quick resource because it'll discuss some of these issues as well as other labor and employment topics. 
And let me turn it to Jill Kaufman, uh, if you'd like maybe 90 seconds. Yes, not even. Um, I just want to remind everybody that employees have these rights under the National Labor Relations um, Act. The right to talk about wages, the right to organize or assist a union, um, the, the, the right to act collectively, to complain about safety, to complain about supervisors, anything touching on terms and conditions of employment and an employer cannot interfere with those rights and cannot retaliate against employees who exercise those rights. And the National Labor Relations Board is here to enforce that act. So employees or anybody else who's looking for more information can go to our website at www.nlrb.gov and there's a wealth of information there. You can file charges with us there. And just a reminder, you can file a charge and we investigate it. You don't need an attorney. There's no cost for filing a charge. Um, we will investigate and uh, make a determination about if there, whether or not there's merit. If there's merit, we then litigate a case. Um, and that's what I wanted everybody to know. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. Tonight we've been discussing labor law. Labor law, your labor rights in the workplace, what labor law means to you. Our guests tonight have been Jill Kaufman, the regional director of the National Labor Relations Board, Beth Mora of Mora Employment Law, and Thomas Lenz, a partner at Atkinson, Andelson, Lawyer, Rude, and Romo in Pasadena. Tonight's show was produced by yours truly. Please be sure to join Your Legal Rights again next week, Wednesday at 6 p.m., where we will once again take your calls and answer your questions. A big thanks to tonight's guests and to the Labor and Employment Section of the California Lawyers Association and the National Labor Relations Board. And on behalf of your legal rights, a big thanks to all of you for listening. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Be safe and have a good night. KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.